0: Hey, my name's Matt Kennedy, and this is the Steadfast Podcast. This podcast exists to use Bible study and theological teaching to encourage you to be steadfast in your faith. Thank you for taking time out of your day to check out the Steadfast Podcast. I hope today's episode is an encouragement to you. In our third Bible study episode, we will continue Luke chapter 1. I know it's a long chapter, and hopefully we'll finish Luke 1 next week. So Luke started chapter 1 with telling us that his goal with this work was to write an orderly and trustworthy account of the story of Jesus. Then he really jumps right in, starting from the very beginning. Remember, God's people were in a season of 400 years of silence. The end of the Old Testament was a long, long time ago. You know, there's got to be lots of feelings of frustrations, lots of feelings of disappointment, lots of fears and worry that came up during that time but here at the beginning of luke we're seeing all that change the lord sent the angel gabriel to deliver a couple messages the first message went to the priest Zechariah, and that was to say that the forerunner of the messiah was coming through him and elizabeth then another message was sent to a young woman named mary saying that the holy spirit was going to work through her work in her to bring about the messiah when Gabriel told Mary that she was going to be the mom of the Messiah, he also said in verse 36 quote, And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. End quote. Now, Mary played it cool there. Remember, she's like, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. But she's probably also freaking out, right? Like on the inside, like all kinds of bells have to be going off. Like Elizabeth, old Elizabeth, advanced in years, Elizabeth is pregnant. So we're going to pick up our story in verse 39. Quote In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. To a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. End quote. So another piece of evidence that Mary believed the angel is that she goes to see Elizabeth. It would have been so easy to write this off as a, a wild dream or a crazy dream, but her traveling feet give evidence for her believing heart. It sounds like Mary didn't waste any time. When we just read the verses, it sounds like it happened very, very quickly. It could also sound like she just took a trip down the street or to maybe the next town over, but that's not the case at all. One of the shortcomings with a podcast is that I can't show you images, I can't show you graphics, or in this case, maps. So if you've got your Bible in front of you or the next time you have your Bible around, I want you to flip to the back where the maps are. Though we don't know exactly which town in the hill country of Judah Zechariah and Elizabeth lived in, you can definitely appreciate how far Nazareth, which is where Mary was coming from, is from what Judah would have been called in this day, which is Judea we are easily talking about 60 miles or 70 miles or even further, and by herself. If you read through this passage, there is no reason to believe that she had any travel companions. So we see this young woman stepping out in faith and traveling 60, 70, or longer to get to Elizabeth. Mary's courage Her faith, her excitement over what God is doing is absolutely incredible. It is noteworthy. It is something that we should look to and admire. But we're going to see in this passage that she is not the only person who is excited over what God is doing. We're going to pick back up in verse 41. And when Elizabeth had heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord." How incredible is it that Elizabeth, six months pregnant, and the soon-to-be-born John heard the voice of Mary, and he leaps. Babies are are human beings who are made in the image of God, and they have value, they have purpose, they have dignity, they have personalities, and I, I know that even those who are not yet born can hear voices. But remember, Mary's voice was new. It would have been a voice that the unborn John would have never heard of before. Yet the Lord, our God, had such intertwined the stories of Elizabeth and Mary, intertwined the stories of John and Jesus, in such a way that John responds with joy. As far as we know, Elizabeth hasn't been told about Mary's encounter with Gabriel. That means that every word she spoke over Mary is knowledge that she gained through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has filled Elizabeth and has revealed to Elizabeth that Mary is going to be the mother of the promised Messiah. Now look, anytime you read your Bible, it is so important for you to look for repeated words and phrases. This is a simple Bible study practice that can really help you get at the meaning of a passage. One of the repeated words in the verses I just read is the word blessed. The Greek word for blessed is makarios. It could also be translated as happy, but not just any kind of happy. It's not like, oh, I'm happy I'm eating a taco, and I promise you I am always happy when I'm eating a taco. And it's not just like a happy, like, oh, your favorite team wins. Go, Pack, go. I'm always happy when the Packers win. But this is a special kind of happy. This is a happy that is happy from being in the fortunate spot where God has extended his grace to you in a powerful way. That's what we see here in Mary's life. God has blessed her. He has extended his grace to her in a powerful way. Her role in history is absolutely undeniable and incredible. But there's another reason why she's blessed. Look at verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. End quote. Mary is blessed because she believed. The angel declared the word of the Lord, and Mary believed every word of it. Her actions prove that she believed every word of it. One interesting note here is that this really further sets up the contrast we see between Mary and Zechariah. It's unclear if he was home when Mary got there, but even if he was, he would have been unable to speak under the power of the Holy Spirit this word that Elizabeth spoke. Why? Because if you remember last time, we talked about how Gabriel was not impressed with Zachariah's lack of belief. So he said, you're not going to be able to speak until these things happen. So even if he was there, he was denied the blessing of being able to speak over Mary in this way because of his lack of belief. In this time, Elizabeth is given that honor. Throughout the Bible, we see belief and blessing going together. You could look at the story of Abraham. God promised blessings to Abraham. He said that he would make Abraham a great nation. He promised him offspring that are as innumerable as the stars in the sky. And then in Genesis 15, 6, we're told this, quote, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness, end quote. So Abraham believed the promises of God, and God credited to him righteousness. The same cycle of God's promise, belief, and blessing that happened in the life of Mary happened in the life of Abraham. And if you really think of the heart of the gospel message, isn't it the same thing? Think of the promise that we find in John 3.16, quote, "...for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life." God has promised salvation to those who believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Romans 10.9 says, "...if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved." With the promise of the gospel the promise that God has given us through this gospel message. Belief leads to the blessing of salvation. Belief leads to the blessing of eternal life. Belief leads to the blessing of relationship with God. Belief leads to the blessing of God himself. Yes, there are so many blessings that God extends to his people. We could talk about the blessing of healing, the blessings of provision, of guidance, of so many things. But when we talk about the ultimate example of God extending his grace, it is through the promise and it is through the power of the gospel that gives us salvation and gives us God himself. One thing to look for as you read your Bible is to point out the promises of God. He's got a perfect track record of keeping his word, keeping his promises. You can count on them. So maybe we would all do well to pray through and to believe the promises he makes to his people and then see what he does. We're going to pick back up in verse 46 and following, quote, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. to Abraham and to his offspring forever. End quote. So, in response to what Elizabeth is speaking over Mary, Mary worships the Lord. The moving of the Holy Spirit in baby John, the moving of the Holy Spirit in his mother Elizabeth, the moving of the Holy Spirit in Mary has made this a moment of beautiful worship. If you're familiar with Hannah's story in the Old Testament, you may notice some striking similarities between Hannah's worship and Mary's worship, where Mary starts her worship with, quote, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, end quote. In 1 Samuel 2, verse 1, Hannah says, Quote, my heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation, end quote. So whether you're talking about the heart or the soul, both in these songs of praises are rejoicing over the Savior. They're rejoicing over the salvation that God brings where Mary praises, quote, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, end quote. Hannah proclaims, quote, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God, end quote. Take note, both Mary and Hannah are declaring the strength and the holiness of God. You can read both passages side by side later if you would like. It's Luke chapter 1 verses 46 through 55 and 1 Samuel chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. It's pretty remarkable to compare them. I'll just add also that they both mention God bringing down the proud, the arrogant, the rich, and the same God lifting up the poor and feeding the hungry, for he is merciful. Both Mary and Hannah are the mothers in a miraculous birth story. You see, in the story of Hannah, she was barren. First Samuel chapter 1 tells us that the Lord had closed her womb. She prayed so earnestly, yet silently, that Eli the priest thought she was drunk. Once the Lord had answered her prayer and given her a son, her son Samuel was called by God to be a prophet, to be a judge. You see, the son of Hannah was set apart by God. And of course, we also know that the son of Mary, Jesus, was also set apart by God. It's really almost as if Hannah and her son Samuel were foreshadowing the work God was going to do to save his people there are so many types and shadows in the Old Testament that build hope and build anticipation really of the coming Messiah and I think Hannah and Samuel belong on that list in way of application for this passage I would like us to look at two different aspects of Mary's worship both aspects are derived from joy in the Lord But I think we can see that Mary's joy in the Lord had two sources that are important for us as we think about worship. The first aspect of worship that I think is important in this passage is her joy that comes from gratitude in the Lord. Let's look at the opening verses here. Quote, "'My soul magnifies the Lord, "'and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, "'for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant.'" For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name, quote. Look how personal that was. My soul, God, my Savior, all generations will call me blessed. He has done great things for me. Mary is in a spot where she sees that God's grace has been extended to her in a way she would never have dreamed of. Grace is unmerited favor meaning that it is goodness that God brings into our life that we did not earn, that we could not earn. Mary did nothing to earn being the mother of the Messiah, yet that is the fortune God had granted her. She also understands who this Messiah is, who this child will be, the Savior. She has been given a role in God saving his people. God blesses different people in different ways, and the question to ask is, how has he blessed you have you ever written out the ways that he has been good to you the blessings the extensions of grace in your life have you ever written them down Have you ever written, this is what I prayed for, and then gone back and wrote, and this is how God has provided? And you know what? It may even be, this is what I prayed for, but that is what God did instead. And now that I get to look back at it, I am thankful. I am grateful for how God answered my prayers in a way that I didn't know I needed, that I could not have expected, that I could not have planned, but because He is sovereign and because He is good, He has worked all of these things, out. And if I had known what he was going to do beforehand, that's what I would have prayed for. It is too easy in our busy world to neglect keeping score on God's blessing, to neglect writing down what he has done. In the Old Testament, God's people were at their most fearful when they were at their most forgetful. They were most fearful when they were forgetful of what God had done for them. That is why we see over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament that God reminds his people that it was him. It was God who delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. That is why God told them to build monuments to memorialize his faithfulness. Like in the case of Joshua, when the people of Israel crossed over the Jordan River, God had stopped up the waters of the Jordan so his people could pass. He wanted them to remember his faithfulness and power in that moment, because they were at their most fearful when they were at their most forgetful. So if you're feeling a little low on your joy in your worship right now, I want you to take the time to reflect. Take note of the goodness of God in your life. As David wrote in Psalm 34, 8, he said, quote, taste and see that the Lord is good, end quote. That's joy from gratitude. Now, joy from adoration. I want you to listen again to how Mary describes God's character and God's deeds. In verse 50, she said, His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Verse 51, He has shown strength with His arm. Verse 53, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. In verse 54, she said that He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. In these verses, Mary describes God as merciful, as strong, as provider, as helper, and merciful again. It's worth saying twice. She was about to experience being pregnant out of wedlock in a world and culture far, far less understanding and gracious of that than the one we find ourselves in today. She was understanding vulnerability. So God being merciful when others might not be. God being strong when she might have felt weak or vulnerable. God being provider when her future may have seemed uncertain. All of these things found their way at being the heart of her worship. The knowledge of who God is has to be at the heart of our worship. What we can see in her song of worship is that Mary knew the Old Testament. She knew God well. She was probably very familiar with Hannah's praise in First Samuel. She gained knowledge of God through the Word of God. We gain our knowledge of God through the word. And we have more word. We have a whole testament that she did not have then. Remember, what you see in God's word is the truth on who God is. Let his character, let his deeds, let his traits drive us to a place of adoration. Let his character, his deeds, his traits be the lens in which we look at life through. Remember, Like last time we said, do not let the storm tell you who God is. We worship in adoration, knowing full well that the sky can never fall, because we know through his word who is holding up the sky. So let us have joy that comes from gratitude, and let us have joy that comes from adoration, and let that joy fill us in a place of worship, for he is worthy. One more verse. 56, quote, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home, end quote. So if you do the math on this, Elizabeth was about six months pregnant when Gabriel came to Mary. Then Mary stayed about three months, which is getting awfully close to baby time. The way Luke shifts his focus from on John, then Jesus, then John, then Jesus as his way of storytelling it's really difficult to know for sure if verse 56 that i just read if that is meant to close the scene on focusing on jesus before it shifts back to john meaning verse 56 could have happened chronologically after the birth of john or if mary did go home just before it was time for john to be born there are very smart scholars on both sides of that argument and it's really not clear While it is so cool to think that Mary could have been there, caring for Elizabeth during the birth of John, it's really just not clear. But what is clear is that God was doing a mighty work of salvation among his people, and that the work he is doing that is a reflection of his character, it's a reflection of who he is, that should drive his people to a place of genuine, joyful worship. Thanks for listening to the Steadfast Podcast. I want to remind you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul wrote this, quote, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, end quote. So in light of biblical truth, let us be steadfast, immovable. Let us remember that through Jesus, not one labor is in vain, not one trial is in vain, not one effort in all of our lives is in vain because he gives purpose and that purpose rings through eternity. That's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, if you've got questions you would like answered, you can email me at matt at steadfastpodcast